Luke 12, 35 through 38. Straight, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. Uh, well, good morning, church family. How are you doing? Uh, my name is Jordan Green, and it is such a joy to be able to open God's word with you this morning. Um, as, we, as we consider this text, as we come together to this text, what I want us to consider, to think about, uh, is perhaps the greatest enemy to our spiritual life. The greatest enemy. And it's a lesson I distinctly remember learning from my mother. When I was in kindergarten, uh, my mom was driving home to meet, to meet me after school one day. But on her way, before she got home, she stopped at the local gas station because she had to fuel up. This is back in the days before you could, you know, pay at the pump. You know, she placed the nozzle in the tank and walked inside to pay and chat with the attendant there. And that five to ten minutes was all it took. <laughs> it was all it took for my mom to forget why she was there in the first place. She drove, as she drove home through the neighborhood, she noticed people staring at her, right? Just putting their hand over their eyes like, what's going on? What are they looking at? Trying to get a closer look at something. You know, wondering what they're looking at, you know, she just, hi, <laughs> waved nonchalantly as she drove by. And you see, it wasn't until she got home that she figured out her mistake. <laughs> it wasn't until she got home that she saw the nozzle and the hose sticking out the side of her car. <laughs> she was incredibly embarrassed, you know, as she's like picking up the hose to stuff it in the back of the car. And as soon as I got home from kindergarten, young kid with a backpack rolling up. She said, Jordan, come on, get in the car. We've got to go. <laughs> Upon climbing in the back seat, I see the hose, you know, coiled there at the, on, the, on our floorboard. And all I say is, Mom, not again. <laughs> you see, it wasn't the first time, and it definitely wouldn't be the last. <laughs> And upon asking mom, What's, what happened? You can just imagine her response, can't you? I just wasn't paying attention. And it's the trap we can all fall into. Inattention, distraction, lack of focus, we're all prone to it. These last three weeks, we have been walking through our series simply different. Trying to understand how the life Jesus calls us into is a life simply different than those around us a life that leads to our flourishing and the flourishing of others. And this week, we come to Jesus' parable calling us to a singular focus, to pay attention. And we need his words today, don't we? We have a distraction problem, to say the least. It's a dire issue. In many ways, our need for distraction is actually destroying us. We all know that playing with a phone in the car is deadly. But most do it. Why? Why? I mean, would we rather risk our own lives, risk the death of ourselves and others, just to what? Not be bored? But it's not, our, it's not just our cars are driving, is it? 
It's our very lives, our families, obsessed with distraction, and our very souls are at stake. You see, Blaise Pascal, the, the French mathematician and theologian, my dream job, claimed, he claimed that perhaps the greatest enemy to the spiritual life of a person is inattention, distraction, lack of focus. And I am convinced that for many of us, our problem is not that we're actively rejecting Jesus. No, no, our problem is that we're too, just too distracted to notice him. And we may think this is only a modern problem, but it's not. When we look at the majority of Jesus' commands in scriptures, his commands to his followers, above most everything, we find commands calling for our attention. Stay awake, watch out, look, behold, pay attention. And it's astounding, isn't it? But you see, Jesus knows that one of the greatest enemies to the spiritual life is our propensity to distraction. So this morning, we're going to look at this short parable of Jesus in Luke, and we're going to explore three things. We're going to explore our call to attentiveness, our trouble with attentiveness, and our joy in attentiveness. All right? Our call, our trouble, and our joy. So if you would, read with me. We're in Luke 12, 30, just 35 and 36, where Jesus says to his followers, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And this first phrase, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. It's a summary for, of everything that's to follow. The rest of this passage, all the way through into verse 48, attempts to illustrate this phrase. And this phrase, it gives us two word pictures, doesn't it? So that we might understand what it means to be a servant to the master. And this first image is quite unique. In your Bibles, you might notice a little, uh, a little superscript and a note at the bottom. Because when we look at the original language, this phrase, stay dressed for action, is literally something like, gird up your loins. Sounds a little, a little inappropriate, I know. Um, and hopefully, if you're like me, you're asking, wait, that's weird. How, how exactly do you gird up your loins? Well, you're in luck. <laughs> Thanks to the Art of Manliness blog, I have a great little infographic for you guys. This is how to gird up your loins. <laughs> you see, in the Middle East, tunics were worn in a hot and dry, in a hot and dry climate to keep you cool and breezy, right? But they're so long, they would get in the way for, before you could do anything. You see, girding up your loins means being ready to serve, prepared to travel, to fight, to work. It's not time to put on your slippers and relax with some Netflix. Today, it's some, we might say something like it's going to sleep with your boots on. Jesus is saying, keep your work clothes on. Be attentive to whatever the master may ask of you. This is the call to attentiveness. Keep your work clothes on and lamps at the ready, available to carry out any order given. But if you're like me, once someone asks you to pay attention, that's the very last thing that I can do. And oftentimes, we can't just be told, oh, hey, pay attention. But like our little infographic, we need a little how-to. We need to know what it looks like. And Jesus knows that, so he elaborates in our passage. He says, be like be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks. 
Jesus says, our attention looks like servants waiting for their master to return. These servants have already put in a hard day's work. They've got everything ready for the wedding feast, and now they're back home. But this doesn't mean a time to relax. When I get home from work, in uh, you know, counting down the minutes, in an hour or so, um, I immediately change clothes. I don't know about you guys. Before I even say hello to Sarah Beth or any of my daughters, um, I change my shirt, I put on some sweats, and I get comfortable. Not so for these servants. They are waiting for their master to come home, waiting expectantly, completely attuned to his needs, not going to miss anything. This is what attentiveness looks like. Leighton Ford, the author of The Attentive Life, a great resource if you guys are interested in, in understanding more about this attentive life. He writes, attentiveness means respecting, attending to, waiting on, looking at and listening to the other, the person and things that we encounter for what they are in themselves, not what we can make, them, make of them. We are called to pay attention to the other, our creator God, to know and worship him. When's the last time you've paid that sort of attention? Or better yet, when's the last time you've had that sort of attention paid towards you? You see, Leighton goes on and he lists eight qualities of attentiveness. And I won't go into each one, but I have them listed out here just to help paint a picture. Leighton says, qualities of attentiveness are like being fully present in the moment, looking long enough, looking freshly, at what is familiar, being available, becoming aware, waiting with expectancy, being mindful, being wakeful. And I know this isn't an exhaustive list of attentiveness, but for me, it helps paint a picture of what this looks like. And I love stuff like this. And hopefully you're internalizing some of this wisdom. But you know, ever since I was a kid, <laughs> I've been told to pay attention. Like it's the easiest thing in the world to do, right? Jordan, pay attention to your sister. Jordan, listen. Jordan, pay attention before you run into that barbed wire fence. It's not easy. This call to attentiveness is hard work. It takes repetition. It takes discipline. It takes practice. And in a day when there is even more to see and to do, how can I ever focus? How can I be present? How can I be attentive? God calls us to be attentive people, doesn't he? And yet we are distracted people living in a distracted world. And our inattention is one of the greatest enemies to our spiritual life. Which leads us to our next concept this morning, our trouble with attentiveness. You see, one of the first questions we ask when we come to a passage like this is, why is it even here? Why does Jesus give this warning? Why does he feel the need to call people to attention? Well, Jesus knows it's our greatest enemy. He knows rather than being attentive, we would much rather be distracted. And it's not a new problem. In the passage just previous to ours today, Jesus tells his followers not to worry about what they will eat or what they will wear. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of being sidetracked by other worries, your focus, first and foremost, is to be on God and his kingdom. And when you do that, these other concerns will fall into place. So while it isn't a new problem, we probably recognize that this issue for us does seem amplified in new and unique ways. There's so much to be said on this, but I want to talk about just three 
troubles that we have with attention. The first one, our focus is fractured. We worry about everything and we want to do everything, don't we? Don't let any opportunity pass us by. But we fool ourselves thinking we can do it all. In the social world, right, we call this hashtag FOMO, the fear of missing out. And yet we are so afraid of missing out on what's going on over there, it's impossible for us to be present anywhere. This constant fear of missing out is just that, constant fear. You see, it replaces the joy of attentiveness with the anxiety of missed opportunities. What about the world of work? In the world of work, this fracturing might be called multitasking. Anyone here claim to be a great multitasker? Anybody want to claim it? (laughs) Maybe. And yet, the most current neuroscience claims that this idea that we can do multiple things simultaneously is actually a myth. What we do when we talk about multitasking is we're really switching rapidly between various tasks. And you guys may be good at it, but I am not one of you. <laughs> you know, each time they, the more they talk about this, over time, each time we switch tasks, there's a stop and a start process that goes on in our brain. And this is rough on us. Over time, the more frequent this happens, it takes its toll on us. It kills our attention, productivity, our happiness. It drains our energy, leads to mistakes, and actually makes us less creative. We just become tired and stretched with a fractured mind. It's like a mirror that's been smashed so badly you can't see one coherent picture through it. But we are called to something different. The second trouble with attention is that our attention seems to be up for sale. Tim Wu, in his new book, Attention Merchants, The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads, he charts the history of the battle for our consciousness, whether by newspapers, commercials, war propaganda, or tweets. He tells this uncomfortable story of the commodification of our attention. And as one reviewer remarks, Wu makes a bold argument. He claims that the marketing of our attention actually poses a severe threat to our happiness and our human flourishing. Wu claims that it inhibits our good attention and only feeds the bad attention, that attention that's quick, superficial, and often involuntarily provoked. And guys, here's the thing. If our attention is up for sale, then we're the ones paying for it, whether we realize it or not but we are called to something different. And so our third trouble we see is that our technology is actually shaping who we are. We are perpetually distracted. You're probably distracted sitting there right now. Whether it's spending too much time on our phones, social media, watching television, or surfing through the endless and endless hours of YouTube videos. But what we don't realize is that technology is forming us. Some of you guys may know uh, the, real, the interesting story of the remote control. But you see, in the 1950s, the remote control was actually created because of advertisements. People were fed up. They were tired of the constant advertising. So it led to the creation of a remote control that looked a little bit more like a gun so that you could, you could shoot out the advertisements, right? Ingenious, isn't it? But isn't it interesting how an invention like this 
has led to the phenomenon of channel surfing. No longer do you watch just one thing at once, but five. Continuously fragmenting your focus so that at the end of an hour, have you really watched anything? And as it's usually the case, the things that we create to give us more control end up being the things that have control over us, the things that form us. Then it was the remote. Today it might be the cell phone, internet, social media. Who knows what will be next? And now I will never be anti-technology. My cell phone's right down there. (laughs) I believe it adds value to society. But as a culture, we are becoming increasingly aware of its effects on us, the ways it's changing us. And we're called to a different sort of attention. Sherry Turkle, who's probably written the best book on this right now, professor at MIT, makes the compelling argument in her book, Reclaiming Conversation. She says that our brains are literally being rewired by our devices. And it's actually costing us what we might say it means to be human. She claims that our wholehearted submission to technology has led to the demise of what makes us human. Things like empathy, self-reflection, the kind of empathy that you can only cultivate in face-to-face relationships, the kind of self-reflection you only find in true solitude. She also claims that we are a culture that's never been more connected and yet never been more alone. Can you relate to that? (laughs) We need to give attention and to receive attention from others. But texts, tweets, message boards are more about convenience than they are about communion. And nowadays, we would rather film our lives than live them, wouldn't we? We stage our experiences And we teach our kids implicitly that the best things in life must be performed in front of a camera and then posted online for the approval of an online audience. And if you don't believe me, did you know that just this month, two large shareholders in Apple, two large shareholders told Apple that they need to wean, they need to help wean addicted youth from their digital addictions. In fact, they cite research that claiming that the average teen spends four and a half hours a day on their phone. And more than that, 50% of the teens that use use a cell phone report feeling addicted to it. 50%, can you imagine that? It's staggering. And people are noticing the effects. This electronic distraction and inattentiveness of our day is costing us what it means to be human stealing our empathy, our recognition of beauty, our productivity, our self-reflection and self-awareness. The list goes on and on and on. So why do we do it? Technology isn't evil. So why do we let these tools meant to bring greater flourishing have such dire consequences? Tony Reinke says, perhaps most subtly, we find it easy to fall into the trap of digital distractions Because in the most alluring new apps, we find welcome escape from our truest, rawest, and most honest self-perceptions. It's a problem as old as sin in the garden. It's enticing, alluring, gives us a sense of worth, a sense of understanding. But it also keeps us busy. It keeps us hidden. It keeps us from the solitude where we might be confronted with who we are. And most of us just want to keep busy because we're afraid that if we stop and reflect, we might not like the person that we find. 
It is a problem that is profoundly shaping us. And it doesn't happen all at once, does it? It's a slow process of formation that happens under the surface. It's the distracted moments that turn into hours and then days and then years and before you know it, you don't even recognize who you are. Here's the thing to grasp, guys. Our problem with attention isn't that we don't want to be attentive, but we are increasingly incapable of it. Even when we want to get better, our choices every day are making it worse and worse and we don't even know it. But all's not lost. Many of us, we notice, we recognize this dissatisfaction that we have. We're tired of this constant pull on our attention, this constant strain on our focus, this constant looking at notifications, one after the other after the other, switching back and forth between a million myriad things, internalizing a million different types of information. You see, we long for something different, and we are called to something different. We are called to cultivate attentiveness. We are called into the joy of attentiveness. We look again at Luke 12, 37 and 38. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Blessed. The language of happiness. But you know, not that fleeting sort of happiness, but the joy that's indicative of the good life. Kenneth Bailey describes this situation like this. He says, servants or slaves who have lamps lit, robes duly belted, are are awake, eagerly expecting the arrival of the master, are already filled with the blessing of God and are a blessed presence to the household. The way they act is an expression of who they are, not an attempt to earn something they do not have. You see, the servants do not receive blessings when they are found awake. No, rather in being attentive to the master, they are already blessed. Throughout scripture, this is how blessedness is described, isn't it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessedness, happiness, joy isn't the thing that you're aiming at. It's something that you find along the way. It's not as though we attend to God in order to find joy, but rather, when we, as we are called to be attentive, in being attentive, we find the life that we've always longed for, the life of joy, of fullness, and we cannot miss this. The servants of God are called to attentiveness, and in the midst, they find the good life. They find joy. The servants who are attentive to God are already blessed. So how do we cultivate this attentive life? We know we're called to it. We know there's trouble with it. But don't you want more? Don't you want more than this distracted and fragmented life? Don't you long for something different? Aren't you tired of the constant pull on your attention? The constant manipulation of your focus? So how can we cultivate this life of attentiveness? It's hard work, and I'm no expert. Um, I have a lot to learn. But I know that it requires intention. It requires us to be intentional about it. So let me suggest just four practical ways 
of pursuing this call to attentiveness. First, put distraction in its place. This is a call to mindfulness, isn't it? Because we do it without even noticing. We open up Facebook, a news app, or we're just going to watch one television episode. And then an hour or two, and we're like coming out of a haze. What? What happened? Where'd the time go? What did I do? <laughs> how, do we get, how do we resist being sucked in? Well, we put it in its place. This might mean for you guys doing a smartphone audit. And yes, there's an app for that. <laughs> but it tracks how much time you use, what you use that time on your phone on, and how much time you use. What else can we do? When you get home, maybe it's put your phone in its place. Not your pocket, but somewhere out of the way on top of the fridge, in a drawer, underneath the couch, I don't care. I mean, when's the last time that you were more than three feet away from your cell phone? Right now it counts for me because it's down there. Put it away, out of sight, out of mind, out of reach. Also, is your phone the last thing you look at before you go to bed or the first thing you look at when you get up in the morning? Is it ending your day and starting your day? Is your email, Facebook, or some news site the first and last thing you see and read? Choose new habits. Spend time in prayer or in the Bible. Start your day with God. Or maybe you need to cut off certain apps that just happen to cause you to be inattentive. I mean, I think it was Jesus who said something like, better to enter life without Candy Crush than... <laughs> I'm not done. Then having finished all 1,895 levels and be thrown into eternal fire. (laughs) He said something like that. How much TV are you watching? How much are you on the internet? Put distractions in their place by setting healthy tech boundaries for you and your family. Reclaim the goodness of our phones by not letting them control your life or hoard your attention. Second, be alone and be quiet. And this is probably the scariest thing I could recommend, isn't it? In some ways, it's kind of like a detox. And I know it's difficult. Who has the time to be alone? Who has the time to be disconnected? But as Sherry Turkle also claims, if we don't learn how to be alone, we will always be lonely. It's the spiritual discipline of solitude. It takes practice. And it looks different for each and every one of us. But you can't be attentive without healthy solitude. Where can we find time alone? Disconnected, quiet. Maybe it's a walk in the woods. That's what I prefer. Maybe it's a quiet drive to work. Maybe it's waking up a little bit earlier before the rest of your household's awake and just taking a couple minutes in silence, in solitude. For a noisy and busy world, we have to learn the practice of solitude. Third, have a conversation. Don't trade artificial connection with real intimacy and friendship. We live in a time where we've never been so connected and yet so alone. And Sherry Turkle also claims that the only antidote, the only antidote for our failing connections of our digital age is the talking cure, face-to-face interaction, physical community. Simply be present with someone. Listen without an agenda. Listen and respond. Eat lunch or dinner with people, friends, family, someone on the side of the road. Maybe it means joining one of our community groups. You know, this type of conversation, this type of community is something that we deeply value, we deeply believe in, and we would love to help you 
And we would love to help you get connected in that. But don't just have a conversation with other people. Also have the most healing conversation for a distracted mind. And that's prayer. It is the most important conversation that we can have in cultivating a life of attentiveness. And it leads me to the last suggestion. Stay attentive to the one who's attentive to you. This is the climax of the entire parable. We've been told that the servants are to be ready, ready to serve the master. And yet this parable is just as much about the master as it is about the servants. We, we find what we don't expect, and it's unthinkable. In verse 27, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, which is like, you are never going to believe this, but the master himself will get dressed like a slave. He will gird up his loins, invite his own servants to dine, and serve them himself. And in the first century world, this is stunning. The roles are reversed. The master returns. Actually, he's actually withdrawing from the party early, before it ends. The master slips out of the party, not to be served, but to serve. And you can just imagine him carrying a platter of the best bits of the party to his servants. There's plenty, and he wants to celebrate to them. He comes to the door and he quietly knocks. Anybody awake? And to their surprise and to their joy, they find not more work, not more demands, but rest. They find a master who is wholly attentive to them. Why is the attentive life so joyous? Because it's the life of the master. He shows us how. We imitate the one who is undividedly attentive toward us. As distracted as a people that we can be, God never stops paying attention to us. William James, the psychologist and, uh, and expert on religious experience, reflects that when we reach the end of our life, the sum of our experience will equal what we have paid attention to. So where have you spent your attention? It's a precious resource. Was it a worthwhile investment? The hours of binge-watching Netflix? Endless chat room conversations? The constant checking of your news feed to see who liked your photo and what they say? Or what about the endless news cycle meant to grab our attention and keep us coming back for more? Or the distractions that keep you from doing your job, your vocation, the distractions that keep you from actually accomplishing anything? Don't you long for something more? Don't you long for something fuller? Something more present than you can imagine? Inattention is the greatest enemy to the spiritual life. But our greatest advocate is the one whose attention is undividedly for us, whose eye is always on us, whose ear is always toward us, and whose goodness is always before us. While we've been overwhelmed with to-do lists, God's been considering each and every one of us. For a people that don't give him the time of day, who are too distracted to notice him, He's been mindful of us, contemplating us, thinking about our needs. And if we could just pause, if we could just pause for one moment and focus our attention on that, on the one who is fully present with us, we'd be blown away, blown away by a God who has steadfastly maintained focus on each one of us. 
When was the last time? When was the last time you realized that God actually thinks about you? When was the last time you recognized that he's not far from you? When was the last time you reflected on the fact that he knows everything you need? That he's aware of what's difficult, what's sad, what breaks your heart? That he's watching you, not like a master ready to strike at the smallest failing, but as one who listens to you, who respects you, who knows you, who loves you, who gives you his undivided attention. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray with the psalmist as he writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? For me, this is a profound mystery. Why would you be so attentive to us? And yet you are. It's just the sort of God that you are. Too often I come to prayer so distracted, my mind unable to focus. And when I stop to pray, I actually realize how inattentive I really am. But this morning, Lord, I just bring it all to you. I bring my distracted mind to be healed by your incredible attention. Father, show me a better way to live. Show me your way of attentiveness. Heal my fractured mind that I may commune with you, that I may listen to you, see you. Father, that I may know you. Father, I just pause that we may meet you this morning, I pray.